Welcome to Not in a Huff with Jackson Huff, where we interview newsmakers, storytellers, and all-around interesting people. Sit back, relax, uh, unless you're driving, and enjoy the show. Here's Jackson. Hello, hello, hello. I am Jackson Huff. This is Not in a Huff. Thanks so much for joining us. Today, we've got a really special guy. His name is Gary Arndt. Um, glad you're here. You know, whether you're listening on Apple, Spotify, Google, there's even actually a radio station that's going to be playing this. So if you're listening from the radio station, welcome. So glad you're here. Please do check out previous episodes. Love to have you listen to some of those if you didn't catch it on the broadcast. Um, You can catch it anywhere that uh, podcasts are found and where you uh, get your favorites. So back to Gary Arndt. Gary Arndt is another traveler. I said that we weren't going to just do travelers, and we're not. I think we can learn a lot from Gary, even if you're not a world traveler, which he certainly is. But he's also a photographer. He's had um, his photography in magazines, um, various magazines. He also has a blog, and he has a podcast. You know, his blog, his podcast, all of it, it follows the name Everything Everywhere. The blog talks about his travels, um, you know, hidden places to see, and his podcast is really cool. Uh, it's not it's not like this one. Uh, not to say this podcast isn't cool. His podcast is, um, it, it's like short little history or short little geography things. It's an everyday podcast. He puts it out every day, seven or eight minutes long. They're not super long, uh, but it's going to teach you different things about you know, history um, and, and things like that. It's, it's a really cool podcast. I recommend checking it out. Um, you know, with, without saying too much more, I really, really enjoyed speaking to Gary Arndt. Um, really, really inspiring words, teaching us a lot about, you know, travel, podcasting, creating a blog, tips on, on creating really good photography, just a really, really good conversation. And uh, with that, Let's, let's uh, pass it over to my interview with Gary Arndt. Mr. Arndt, thanks so much for joining us. If you would, just tell us a little bit about yourself, how you went from being uh, an entrepreneur in Minnesota to a travel traveler slash photographer that I believe went to over 130 countries. Uh, well, it, it kind of starts back in the 90s. Uh, I started an internet company that was really kind of early. Uh, this is before the, in the first dot-com boom. Uh, I sold that, uh, started some other companies, went back to school to study geology for a couple of years. And I didn't know what to do. So I came up with the idea of traveling around the world, uh, selling my house. And I thought I would travel around the world for a year or two. And it pretty much ended up being a decade. So I just kind of never stopped. And uh, that's pretty much how it started. And that's, that's really cool. And I, I heard that you weren't necessarily always a a huge traveler before you I guess you decided to make this leap so I guess what made you just decide you know it's it's time now just to to make the leap and and start seeing the world I know my you know growing up I wasn't in a family that traveled very much Uh, I never saw saltwater until I was 21 years old and when I sold my business I sold it to a large uh, global company and I convinced them to send me on an around-the-world trip to go to the regional offices to talk about uh, the internet and its potential uses. And so they sent me on a three-week tour where I went literally around the world. Uh, I went to Tokyo, Taipei, Singapore, Frankfurt, Brussels, Paris, and London. And uh, 
did all that in three weeks. It was the first time I'd ever really been anywhere. First time I had been to Asia, first time I'd been to Europe. And uh, it was kind of left me uh, with a, a pretty lasting, you know, experience. And I really enjoyed it. And it was something I wanted to do more of. And that's kind of, I think, where the idea of traveling around the world was hatched. Yeah. I mean, I, like I've, I've said to a lot of people, the travel bug is definitely a real thing. Once you kind of, you experience it, it's definitely something I, I think most people kind of want more of. Um, so I, I guess you mentioned that you, you were sent around, you know, to the different regional offices or I guess world offices. After that, how did you go about your travels? I mean, it was an extended period of time, but so did you really focus on certain areas and then travel by land around those areas? Did you kind of crisscross around with, with flight deals? I just kind of wonder exactly how you, you decided where to go and, and how to make sure that you experienced uh, everything there is to experience in these areas. I kind of made it up as I went along. Uh, when I started, my general idea was to go west. And what I knew, the places I knew I wanted to start was in the Pacific because I'd always been fascinated by these little island countries. So I started in uh, Minneapolis. I rented a car, drove it to Dallas, took a train from Dallas to LA, which was a horrible experience, by the way. Don't do it. <laughs> um, flew from LA to Hawaii learned how to scuba dive, got my certification. And then I went to Tahiti, uh, Easter Island, Cook Islands, uh, New Zealand, Samoa, Tonga, Fiji, Vanuatu, New Caledonia, all, all these places in the Pacific. And that took me about six months. And uh, yeah, I just kind of made it up as I went along. I, I really didn't have a plan. I, I wasn't buying an around the world ticket or anything like that. I just sort of went wherever you know, I felt like at that time, there was one stretch in there where I did have to book my, my tickets for like a month in advance, uh, just to make it all work. And that was really the only time I did that. Other than that, I was, I just sort of stayed somewhere until I felt like it was time to go. So on average, how long did you, did you stay at these different areas? Uh, it depends. Uh, I ended up staying in Samoa for quite a while, uh, simply because I actually got sick while I was there. I got like a skin infection. And I ended up going to American Samoa, which is pretty, really close by. Uh, I stayed there and ended up staying in a hotel room for like a week uh, just as I was recovering. I only went into town once. Uh, some places I may have just stayed for like four days. Others, uh, I stayed a little bit longer. Uh, when I got back to Honolulu, after going around the South Pacific, I ended up staying there for two weeks just to kind of rest and, you know, go through my photos and stuff like that before heading out again, going to like uh, the Marshall Islands, Micronesia, uh, Palau. And then from there I went to the Philippines and then worked my way up to South Korea and then down to Hong Kong. So I, I read that you, you didn't have a permanent residence for like 12 years. What made you decide to, to be voluntarily homeless as, as someone else put it? It's just easier. Uh, you know, a lot of people, they think traveling is expensive and it can be. But if you just go and you live on the road, you forego rent slash mortgage, all your utilities, the cost of a car, which includes fuel, insurance, and other upkeep, and all just the other stuff, all the money you spend, you're not spending a lot of that. And moreover, in a lot of the places you can travel, you can go to places that are very affordable, uh, where you're going to be spending a fraction of the amount of money for food, and accommodations than you would if you were staying at home. So yeah, it, it really just, you know, made a lot of sense. And uh, 
I think if you're going to travel for, you know, over a year, then you can, I know people who have certainly not sold their house, but it was a good transition for me. And I, I, it's something actually I recommend doing if, if you're going to move or you're transitioning careers or you're, you know, you're getting out of school or there's some change in your life like that, that's always a good time to go travel. If I read it correctly, you do have a, a residence now. Is that, is that right? Uh, well, I did as of a few weeks ago. So <laughs> I lived in Minneapolis for the last five years and um, my neighborhood was right kind of where a lot of the, the rioting and a lot of the destruction happened. Um, you know, we had fires right outside of my building and a gas station like a hundred yards from me burned to the ground and oh um, pretty much everything is, is boarded up or destroyed and nothing, nothing changed in two months. So I eventually just put all my stuff in a U-Haul a couple of weeks ago and left. Yeah, I, I can't even imagine, you know, being right in Minneapolis. I did, that wasn't something I even thought about. I mean, even down here in Indianapolis, Indiana, I mean, most of our, our downtown was boarded up because of, you know, some of the, some of the social unrest. So I, I can't even imagine that. So I, from, I guess from one really deep uh, topic to another, how is, you know, the, the COVID pandemic affecting your travels currently? It's completely stopped. And it's pretty much that way for everyone I know. The entire travel industry and I should add that the travel and tourism industry, a lot of people don't know this, is one of, if not the biggest industry in the world. It is on a par with things like agriculture and energy. I mean, that's, it, it's really that big. And uh, it's gone to nothing. So my income basically just evaporated. Uh, I think it dropped by somewhere around 95 to 98% uh, mm. in the span of like 30 days. Because it was both on the industry side, you had companies and tourism boards that just stopped spending money because they, they, they were in survival mode. And then on the other side, on the consumer side, people stopped buying, people stopped researching trips. Um, so, you know, traffic to my website and everything else just vanished. And uh, it's, it's been that way for pretty much everybody. I know, you know, tour companies that were making hundreds of millions of dollars a year and they went down to zero revenue absolute zero. Um, so it's been devastating. I mean, even hotels, you know, they, they could maybe get a few people that were coming in. They had to go for work or, you know, even if they were hospital employees or something. But for a lot of the tour companies and, and you know, some people in the travel business, it's, it's just been devastating. Yeah. I've, I've talked to a lot of people that do travel and, you know, they're, they're trying to find ways just to, to do domestic travel, but it's not necessarily as, as easy or as, you know, profitable as, as what they were doing in the past. But yeah, I, my, my heart definitely goes out for, there's a lot of countries just like you were mentioning that, you know, with, without tourism, tourism's a huge part of the GDP without tourism that they're really, really, really struggling. Yeah. Uh, all the countries I just mentioned in the Pacific, for example, uh, they've done a very good job of keeping out the virus, which is easy to do when you're in the middle of nowhere in an island. Um, the problem is it's really just devastated their economies. Um, and so they're kind of in a holding pattern, just waiting for things to get better. I know some places like Fiji were thinking of opening up just to Australia or just to New Zealand or something like that. But uh, that's all I've heard so far. So what do you think that this is, you know, a, a short-term thing? Do you think it's a long-term thing or, or maybe even a permanent differences in travel because of, of COVID? There are some changes that are going to be permanent. And I think that are, those primarily are going to deal with business travel. Uh, 
a lot of people, you know, things like Zoom have always existed. I mean, it's been around for a long time, but no one ever used it. You know, there are, you know, if you had said a year ago that the nightly news or all the late night talk shows would be hosted from someone's house, you'd have been laughed out of the room, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And, and then all of a sudden that became the norm. That's just how everything on TV is being done. Like it's a, like it's a YouTube channel. And I think there's going to be, there's a lot of companies that are realizing that they are saving a ton of money by not having all the, the office and real estate. You know, it's just something you did as a business. You just had to have an office. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know one company uh, in New York, they, their lease came up and they just didn't renew it. And now everyone works from home and that's their company and they're saving hundreds of thousands of dollars a month. And the same is going to apply to business meetings, I think. Then unless it's absolutely necessary, you can get it done for a fraction of the time and a fraction of the cost by just doing a video conference. And I think you're going to see more people doing that. So that's going to dramatically impact um, business travel. As far as leisure travel, that is primarily going to be people, you know, how people are going to respond. You know, I have a a pretty active Facebook group of, uh, you know, with very well-traveled people. And I took a poll last week and it's all over the map. You know, I'd say a third of the people absolutely are not going to go anywhere until this is dead in the ground and there's a vaccine and everything else. Third of the people were like, oh, they'll wait and see. And then a third are like, yeah, I'll go right now. And, and, you know, this is the well-traveled group. So for everyone else, I don't know, but I, I think it's, you're not going to have any, any sense of normal to see until well into next year at the earliest. Cause I think people are going to be, they're going to be pretty safe and take precautions rather than take a chance. So for, for people who, who want to kind of, I guess, forget that we can't travel right now and kind of live through some of your experiences, if you would tell us a little bit more about your Everything Everywhere blog and what we can learn from that. Well, I started the website uh, before I started traveling and it just documents. And, you know, when I, when I started it, it was really sort of social media at the time because we didn't really, Twitter wasn't a thing. I mean, Facebook and Twitter existed, but they weren't a big deal. Uh, so people would actually come to your website and I would just, you know, tell people what I did that day and what my thoughts of things were. And things have changed over time. So now the website, it's, it's a lo- kind of a, a repository for information for visiting a lot of the places I go to, especially like national parks and world heritage sites. And I also just launched a podcast uh, a couple months ago. It's not a travel podcast. It is a uh, kind of a history podcast, but it, but it deals a lot with like stories and things I've learned traveling. So it's a daily show, but it covers a wide range of topics dealing with geography, history, science, space, all sorts of stuff. Uh, and a lot of it's just based on things I learned uh, from different p- people and from different places around the world. Yeah. And I've, I've listened to, to some of your podcasts. How, how do you come up with, I guess, all of those different the ideals. Does it take a lot of research or these things that you already have, you know, just, just stored up there? I know you were talking very recently about currency and how, you know, how different countries use the dollar. It's, um, you know, there, there's a lot of there's, uh, popes. You talked about, you know, how we, we got popes. So I, I just wonder how you come up with ideals every single day with that. Hey. I don't know. There are, there are literally days where I don't know what I'm going to record. And then I just think of something. <laughs> so I have a whole bunch of, like, I, I have this um, thing in, on my computer where every time I get an idea, I just put it down. So I had like a hive, 
I don't know, like 150 different show ideas. Some of them I realized I cannot make full shows out of. They're just too small. So like today I just wrote up an episode that's like just a potpourri episode of a bunch of little things that couldn't make up their own. And I, I realized they all had a theme. Uh, it was like survival. One was the only person in history that we know of who got hit by a meteorite and she mm. lived. Um, one was about uh, these people who were on like five different ships that sunk and they survived every time. Uh, one guy was on three ships in one hour that sunk uh, in World War I because he was on a ship that sunk. Then he swam to another ship that got sunk. Then he swam to another ship that got sunk. Um, and then one was about a doctor who had to perform surgery on herself at the South Pole because uh, she had cancer. And uh, there was no one else there to do it. So she literally had to perform uh, a surgery on herself. Oh, my um, goodness. Yeah, but I mean, I, I didn't think any of these could be a full episode. And then the other one I'm going to probably record after we're done talking uh, was about fire and how humans discovered fire. Because if you think about the one thing that, you know, probably started us on the road to being humans, it was figuring out fire. And what do we know about that? When did humans first start to use fire and what did we use it for? And there's, I, you know, I, I've read a lot of stuff on this in the past. So it's just a matter of kind of putting it all together into a short and you know, I should mention it's a daily show. So, um, you know, the shows are about 10 minutes long and putting into something that's kind of digestible and interesting in that period of time. Yeah. And they, they certainly are interesting. I've, I've enjoyed all the ones that I've listened to. So I thank you for that. My pleasure. Yeah. So, and I want to, I want to read this cause I don't want to get any of these stats wrong. Cause you definitely have some amazing, amazing stats when it comes to your travels, 198 countries or territories, all 50 States, 380 or more UNESCO World Heritage Sites. So that's that's really, really cool. I know you don't pick favorites. I've listened to you, you know, talk to other people and, and you don't pick favorites. I'm perfectly fine with that. I don't want you to do that. But are there any places that you've been that you can say everyone should see you shouldn't you shouldn't miss these sites? Well, there's so many. Um, actually, I think that those numbers are a little out of date. I've, I've been to uh, 204 countries and territories now using the Traveler Century Club list, and they have 326 different distinct places around the world. That includes places like Puerto Rico, Antarctica, stuff like that, that may not be a country per se, but it's its own thing. And I've been to every state twice now. The, the, the place I always mention, yeah, there's some great places. Uh, one is South Georgia Island, which most people have never heard of. It is above Antarctica between South, uh, South America and Africa. It's where Ernest Shackleton rescued his men. Absolutely fantastic place. You know, I tell people, if you ever want to go to Antarctica, make sure you're on a boat that stops on, in South Georgia Island because that's really the highlight of the trip, not Antarctica. Because you get off the boat and you see a quarter million penguins on the beach and they have no fear of humans and it's an incredible experience. Another great place that I always try to talk about is Nahani National Park. And it's maybe the greatest national park in the world and almost no one has heard of it because it's in the Northwest Territories of Canada and there are no roads connecting the park to the rest of the world. You have to fly in. And so it gets 800 visitors a year, even though it is one of, I think, the greatest attractions on earth. I mean, most Canadians have never even heard of it, uh, but it, it's really that exceptional. And, you know, I've been talking about it in interviews for years now. I don't think a single person has actually ever gone there. No, those are, those are really good insights. I, I, I hope that you were, you were going to give us some places that, that, you know, 
people haven't traveled to a lot. So that's, that's really cool. Uh, and those are things that I've, I've written down. So I guess conversely, and maybe you, you can mention places that are over traveled, but are there, are there any places that you may not go back to or that, you know, you'll leave for somebody else to go to at this point? I'll go back pretty much anywhere. Uh, there are some places I'm not in a rush that unless it was some special circumstance, I probably wouldn't go out of my way to visit. And those tend to be like, you know, Cancun, you know, the real touristy kind of places. But I think there are a lot of places that do get a lot of tourists that have some amazing things that most people don't know about. Yeah. Uh, so for example, Rome, there's so much in Rome that the average tourist has no clue that it's there. And it gets, you know, everyone goes to the forum and they see the Colosseum and they go to the Vatican. But, you know, even in the Vatican, there are tours you can take uh, through the Vatican gardens, which very few people get to see. There is the, uh, there's a tour you can take of the, the catacombs that are below uh, St. Peter's. It was the original Roman cemetery that it was built on. Nero's palace was discovered after World War II, or at least parts of it. And uh, you can go in and see the original artwork, the painting that was preserved because it was buried. And uh, you, know, you can see all the colors and stuff they used. Just outside of Rome, there are two fantastic places. One is Ostia Antica, which used to be the port city for Rome. And again, almost no one goes there. And the other is up in the city of Tivoli, which is about 45 minutes away up in the hills. And you can see the palace of the emperor Hadrian. And they still have statues and all the stuff that's still there, the swimming pool there. And you know, I was basically by myself when I was there. And uh, there's a lot of really neat things like that all over the world that even if you go to a, a, a major city, there's really cool stuff you can see that most people don't know about. Um, let, let's kind of shift gears a little bit. I know that you have a huge collection of, of National Geographic magazines and you were named uh, National Geographic Travel of the Year finalist several times. So did you, did you make it into your own magazine collection? Not really. Uh, I've never worked for National Geographic. Um, I started collecting the National Geographic's like 20 years ago uh, after I sold my business and they were surprisingly cheap to buy because most people just never throw them away. And so they end up, you know, like they, their dad had them and he passed away and they don't know what to do with them and they don't want to throw them away. So I would take them off their hands. Mm -hmm. And so I ended up getting a collection that was, well, at the time when I, before I started traveling was complete up until I think around the year 1916. And then I had a bunch that were even from before that, including uh, one of the only copies of issue one, number one, uh, one mm -hmm. of the originals, not a reprint. So yeah, but I've never, I mean, I know some people at National Geographic, but I've never actually done any work with them. Gotcha. Now you, you are a, a photographer. We mentioned that. Um, I believe you, I, I've read that you're, you're self-taught. So what, what got you into photography and, and travel photography? Well, when you go on a trip, you bring a camera. And like a lot of people, I bought a camera at the start of my travels that was very expensive, thinking it would take better pictures. And I learned out quickly that that's not how it works. Because <laughs> I was taking a lot of really bad photos. Yeah. And uh, I, I at least had enough self-awareness to recognize that the photos were bad. So I just began a process of trying to incrementally get better. And uh, it, it seems to have worked. Uh, you know, I've won pretty much every major travel photography award there is to win uh, in North America, at least. People seem to like it. So, yeah, yeah, I, I, I definitely think you, you've gotten better if they started out bad. <laughs> so what advice, you know, basic advice do you give to people who want to be just a, a little bit better with, with the camera that they've spent so much money on? 
learn what all the knobs and dials are for. They're there for a reason. And a lot of people, most people just put it on automatic and then they don't do anything, which really defeats the purpose of buying a nice camera. Mm -hmm. I always recommend people should shoot in aperture priority mode. That means you set the aperture, which is the hole that the light comes through, the size, and then let the camera figure out the shutter speed. And then just look to see if it's too dark or too light. And then just adjust. A, there's usually a plus minus button on the back of the camera. Then you can just adjust that up or down uh, to get the proper exposure. And that's the, the simplest and easiest thing to do as far as controlling your camera. And then beyond that, it's just a lot of practice. You know, figuring out composition and light and uh, learning what you did well and trying to do that more often and learn what you did bad and then avoid that. You know, some of my best shots were just sort of by accident or, you know, something happened and I happened to be at the right place at the right time. And I, I got the photo. One of my favorite photos was taken in Ethiopia when a Coptic priest was leaving this church because he got a cell phone call and he was in his traditional robes and, you know, he had his prayer book and he also had a cell phone and he walked right past me and I just turned around, took his photo uh, at a profile and uh, it's one of my favorite photos. And I have another one of a woman uh, standing in front of a waterfall on the island of Dominica in the Caribbean. I have no idea who she was. Uh, she just got up and posed perfectly, you know, put her arms out in front of the waterfall and then sat down. And I just happened to be at the right place at the right time. Yeah, I, I think those, those pictures of, of seeing life as they're happening, and that's, that's really, really cool. Um, that kind of leads me to, to one of my final questions. You know, I, I looked at your website. I found you know, a lot of articles about a lot of really, really cool experiences you've had. It's almost impossible for me to, to pick just a few of them to ask you about. So I'd hope that you'd, you'd help me out just a little bit by kind of just one or two of your, your favorite experiences that you, you've had in all these years of traveling. Uh, favorite experience might be uh, landing, staying overnight, and being launched from a nuclear aircraft carrier. I saw uh, several, that one. <laughs> yeah, several years ago, I was invited by the Navy. They have a program where they invite VIPs and journalists to visit an aircraft carrier. So uh, the Navy has a program uh, where they invite VIPs and journalists. And uh, so I said, hell yeah, I'm going to do it. So I drove down to Norfolk, Virginia, and uh, we flew. <clears throat> they have a small uh, cargo plane that's used for aircraft carriers uh, that can do carrier landings. I believe it's called an A2 Greyhound. Um, so we, me and I think it was uh, six other people flew in. We did a landing on the aircraft carrier. <clears throat> we got the tour. We stayed overnight, got to meet the, the, the crew, you know, did a tour of the ship, got to see how it all works, even got to uh, go out on the flight deck while they were doing takeoffs and landings. And uh, incredible experience. And the next day we got launched from the ship. And uh, that was quite the thing. I almost passed out. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's the most acceleration you'll ever experience. So just a few last questions to wrap it up. You know, you, you mentioned that you weren't a huge traveler before, before this whole journey started. You know, I'm, I'm sure there's a, a people listening that haven't traveled much and that just haven't taken that step, even whether it's just going beyond their, their typical you know, week long vacation to, to Florida every year. So what, uh, what advice do you give to people who want to, to take that leap and, and do a little bit more traveling or to be a little bit more adventurous in their traveling? Uh, you just got to do it. Don't you, everyone, can, everyone can think up reasons as to why they shouldn't do it. 
Oh, it's too expensive. Oh, I can't take that much time off from work. You know, there's lots of reasons. Absolutely. But the people that travel a lot simply find ways to make it work and make it a priority in their life. You don't need to, to stay at luxury hotels. You know, in fact, it's probably better if you don't because you'll save money, which allows you to travel more mm -hmm. rather than blowing it all, spending, you know, $200 plus a night. Um, you can find something for a fraction of the price and uh, you'll meet more interesting people that way. Yeah, it's just something you got to do. Find an opportunity, at, you know, even if it takes several years to plan, you know, you, you can probably make it happen. Yeah, I think that's, that's really, really good advice. So how you, you've mentioned this podcast, you've mentioned your, your blog. Um, I'm, I'm not sure what else maybe that you, you've got going on in the works. If you would, just to wrap it up, tell us a little bit how we can find that podcast, how we can find your blog and, and any um, other things that you, you want to mention. Both the blog and the podcast are called Everything Everywhere. Uh, just search for that. It should be very easy to find or just search for my name. You can just search for Gary and travel and you'll find me. I'm super easy to find online. Well, that's, a, that's an important thing when it comes to online, isn't it? Yeah. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate your time. Thanks so much for, for spending a little bit of your evening with me. And uh, you've, you've been really helpful, I think. And uh, I, I kind of have lived vicariously through you. And it's, it's, really, uh, it's really an honor to talk to you. Well, thank you for having me on your show. Absolutely. Take care, Gary. And that was my interview with Gary Arn. Thanks so much for joining me today. I hope to see you next time. It was a real pleasure to, to interview him, and it's a real pleasure just to, to have you as a listener. So thank you so much for being here. We'll see you next time. And Chris, take us out. This has been Not in a Huff with Jackson Huff. Thank you for listening. Be sure to join us next time where we will interview another amazing guest who is sure to make you laugh or make you think, or hey, maybe even both. But until then, keep being awesome.